and welcome to Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. It's so hard just to feel normal when everything is completely paranormal. And I am Matsy of Gondor. And I am Micah of Eriador. On Animation Celery, we get cartoon assignments. And then the next week, we review and discuss them. And this week, we're going to look at Return of the King, the animated special from 1980. That's the last book of The Lord of the Rings, which, mm. you know, it's going to be fun, nostalgic. I haven't seen it in forever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, first off, what of the new? Matsy, what's new? Okay, I got something. You remember a while ago, I live unboxed some My Little Pony toy that was on clearance. Hmm. Uh, it was like a, a like a blind box pony. Oh, okay, yeah, I, do I got a little that, yeah. coconut thing. Well, there's something else that's been in the store that I've I looked at and I went, oh, cute. And then I saw something that made me laugh and I've been kind of obsessed with it ever since. And so I went and bought it today. Mm-hmm. So I think I'll do another blind box opening. This is another My Little Pony thing. OK, let me explain what this is. It is Pony Pet Friends. And this package contains the main six ponies and they're kind of a translucent plastic version with painted eyes and cutie marks and stuff. Just little figurines. Okay. Uh, with pets. And the reason that it intrigued me, there's a couple of reasons, but there is a special blind one in here. So, like, you can see 12 of them, but there's a 13th one that's Oh, hidden. I see, I see. It's like a question mark on the package. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, let me tell you <laughs> what it advertises is inside. Right. All right? So we got Fluttershy. Oh, here's a fun game. Why don't you guess what accompanies each one? Well, what makes sense so, for Fluttershy would be Angel. Angel Bounce. Okay. Um, oh, by the way, these pets have unicorn horns. And I don't know why that is, but they do. Huh. Um, Angel Bounce. And then there's Rarity. Um, oh, shoot. Was her name Opal? Opalescence. Yeah. Her snooty cat. Yes. Yeah. Uh, next is Rainbow Dash. Oh, Tank, of course. Tortoise Pet. <laughs> tank is uh, probably not a good thing to. Tank buy is for too trademark. violent for little girls. Toys. Well, it might be a trademark thing. Yeah, maybe. Not like opalescence. Probably uh, not. No. And then we got Applejack. I don't remember her dog's name. Winona. Right. That makes sense. Okay, and then Pinkie Pie. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's Gummy. Gummy Snap. Huh. And then Twilight Sparkle. Oh, we're waiting for this one. Aloysius. No! Whoa, Spike? No! (laughs) (laughs) It's a potion. Oh. Well, that's probably more apt to be the sort of pet that she would have. I'm looking, I, I haven't opened this yet, but based on the picture, it looks like there might be like a sun and maybe a moon on it. So that would be, so, so I laughed at the tortoise pet. Sure. Uh, I, I was amused by angel bounce and gummy snap. Yeah. And I really laughed at the fact that they didn't even put Aloysius in this package of all the other pets. So this is the best toy line ever. So, well, 
now the question is, what is the mystery figurine? Is it hmm. Aloysius or is it Spike? Or something else? Spike would make the most sense. Um, I don't know how thrilling it would be if it was... Uh, oh, shoot. I'm coming short on her name. Some fan I am. <laughs> I don't... Like, um, are you thinking of, like... Starlight Glimmer. Starlight sh Glimmer. Okay, yeah. yeah, okay. All right, well, I'm going to open it now, and we'll find out. Okay. I don't think she has let's a pen, see. so... Yeah. Unless her... Well, let's see. <laughs> well, it fell. A little plastic... Hang on. What did she use to time travel? That could be her pet. Hmm. Okay. I'm going to open up this little package. It is... It should be the great and powerful Trixie. That would be fantastic. Um, so you remember I said that they were all like translucent plastic, like crystal versions? Yes. Well, this figurine is solid. Oh. But covered with purple sparkles. Huh. And it's an owl. Okay. But it appears to be a girl owl. So one of the... Is it a griffin, maybe? This is an owl, dude. Okay. <laughs> like, it's got a little beak in the front. It's got a couple of... Got a couple of talons that look like it could attach to something, but I don't think there's anything in this package for it to attach to. Let me get a look at that potion. Does it have four legs? It's just an no, owl. No, just two. Yeah. Just two. Just, just a bird. Just two talons. Weird. Uh. And th this was random, I guess, yeah? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so I'm looking at this potion now. I wonder if the idea it no, it's not quite grabbable by this. It's got a hole in it. I wonder if it can sit on the other animal's horns. <clears throat> Come here, angel bounce. Ah. Eh, kind of, but not really designed to. So Hmm. So Owlicious is so shafted that they put an owl in this package and it was a different owl. Huh. I'm curious. I got to see this thing, I guess. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a picture. Um, and but my phone is somewhere else. Okay. Anyway, that was fun. Yeah. Um, what else? I don't know how this keeps happening, mm. but... There is about the third or fourth reboot of Beavis and Butthead now. Reboot. Well, I guess because they want to keep them 14, I think they are. I get. Well, I mean, I say reboot, but it's really more like just new episodes. Sure. Because, you know, it's a cartoon. It oh, never changes. But much. like the format that they're not watching music videos has changed. Well, Actually, yes. Um, <laughs> instead of watching music videos, now they're watching internet videos. They're watching like YouTube videos or TikToks. That makes total uh, sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> There's, I actually, <laughs> it in, I was watching the first part of it. So, so the first episode is called Escape Room, mm -hmm. where these two girls want to play an escape room, the mummy's tomb, but it's a four player thing. And so they bring in Beavis and Butthead because hmm. they're hanging out outside. Um, and Beavis and Butthead go on ahead and they say, OK, it's it's just through that hall in the lift. 
on the left, rather. Mm. So they go through the hall and to the right into the men's room. <laughs> and so they're looking around this men's room like, hmm. And then, you know, Beavis tries to get out, but it's a pole door and he pushes on it and just the door <laughs> won't open. It's like, yeah. So it's just them looking around this bathroom, trying to figure out the clues uh, to lead them out. And I was like, I don't know about this. But then they started it cut to them watching a video. A mm. couple of things. Originally in Beavis and Butthead, they just had stock footage of them that they would play. Right. Um, with new voiceover and stuff. Sure. Well, they've actually animated like specific sequences for these now. Okay. Um, and the first one was uh, they were watching a. I guess a TikTok video or a YouTube video of this lady showing the viewer how to shake their meat. Hmm. Like twerk, I guess. Right. And Beavis is like, I've always wanted to know how to shake my, shake my meat. <laughs> and uh, so it's like, he's standing there trying to do what the lady's showing him and Butthead's just making fun of him the whole time. And that kind of endured, in, endeared me to it. I was like, all right, this is okay. Sure. And then yeah. the second the does, second episode, does it sorry, look, go ahead. Does it look in the same style? Well, it's drawn the same, but it's new drawings. Like the, sure, sure. It's, it's like high definition and like clearly, you know, better drawn. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like but, it's, still, it's still the same Beavis and Butthead, but it's like new modern drawings of Beavis and Butthead. Well, just, just so long as it's not like, you know, a completely different beast, like it was Flash or computer animated. Oh, no, it's it still looks like Okay. I was actually watching, you know, the two girls as they're talking and I'm seeing like the the lines where their jaw is moving, but the rest of their face isn't right. So I'm like, oh, they OK, so they've animated that as a separate cell or, or layer or whatever. Sure. Um, the second episode <laughs> kind of made me laugh because it it was, you know, the the opening is it shows it plays the music and it has Beavis pops up with the name Beavis mm. and then Butthead pops up and it says, and Butthead, right? Right. And so it comes up and it says Beavis and fire. Huh, okay. And then the title screen comes up and it's Beavis in the special one. And it's Beavis by himself late at night. And he's at a wings place and he finds a fire in the dumpster behind it. And Beavis is a pyromaniac. And so he's like, yeah, yeah, fire, fire. <laughs> yeah. And then the fire starts talking to him. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fire's like, you are my special one. You will do as I request. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fire is like, I want you to go to your school and run around the track four times, which will make a distance of one mile. <laughs> and Beavis is like, uh, Why? Because I think you can use the exercise. <laughs> and so it's it's that like he gets back from that. And then the fire is like, now pick up all the bottles in this alley and put them in the recycling. And so it's it's the fire in Beavis's head actually trying to make him a better person. That's kind of funny. Like yeah. A, like the breaking point is it wants him to read Call of the Ro Call of the Wild and write a two page essay about it. And at that point, Beavis just goes into the place and tells the guy that there's a fire in the dumpster in the in the back. And so he comes out with a fire extinguisher. Oh, my God. And so, like, the fire is, like, begging Beavis to let him live. But Beavis just turns his back and listens as the fire gets put out. So he's got so, character growth. Well, yeah, but then he finds a lighter and starts flicking it and going, fire, fire. Right. 
Okay. I guess he just doesn't like that particular fire sure. because it was making him. Um, so yeah, it's you know, it's actually kind of all right. Like I've I've talked about Beavis and Butthead way too much on this a show. lot. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but I I think I like that show, and they just sure. keep bringing it back. And this is it. It remains amusing. It's still fun to watch really <laughs> dumb people be really dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the the punchline of that escape room one is they they finally get out uh, through some means. And <laughs> the punchline is that Beavis is glad to be out because he's had to go to the bathroom for like an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so he asked the guy where the bathroom is. It says through that hall to the right. And so they go in and they go to the left and then they just start going to the bathroom in the mummy's tomb escape room. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. As usual, I like your critic review uh, line there. It'll be on the on the Beavis and Butthead uh, disc. Oh, calamity and woe. Micah here. At this point, my mic cut out briefly, stopped my recording, and everything got fakakted. We recorded some new stuff, and I re-recorded a little. And I acted in the challenging role of myself. On the disc cover, the quote for you is going to be, It remains amusing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, have I done anything else? I don't think I have. It's been a busy week. I got the new, I got the new OLED switch all splatooned out. I saw. Man, man an OLED screen looks nice. Uh, can't wait for Splatoon 2 or Splatoon 3 to come out in another couple weeks. So I can play it. But I was, uh, I was playing the new Mario Kart courses. Those are nice. Waluigi pinball. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. I'm just killing time. Um, what have you got to talk about? Tell me. Uh, there was a major event in Lost Media. Oh. Uh, do you know what Saban Moon is? Saban Moon. Well, to me, that sounds like the uh, Sailor Moon series. To prepare you, I think you need to look uh, at this clip from Anime Convention years ago. There we go. All right. Let's see here. Mike has given me a link to a YouTube video. What do we got? Let's see. Yeah. So this seems to be them talking about a shelved version of, like a shelved American version of Sailor Moon that they were going to make but didn't, I guess. All right. I'm seeing planets. Mm-hmm. Just you wait. What the? There was a... <laughs> what the... <laughs> Yeah. There was a human woman, and then... What the heck? Yeah. <laughs> what? What am I... <laughs> yeah. Pretty is incredible. This like... This is like live-action Sailor Moon intermixed with... Wait, were they in wheelchairs? <laughs> well, Sailor Mercury is. I don't know who the other person is. So it's like live action girls hanging out intercut with like clearly American animated Sailor Moon characters. Uh, so this is about where my microphone busted <laughs> or hiccuped anyway. Yeah. OK, I know we and we lost a lot of good stuff like uh, talking about lost media and uh, cracked animation segment cracks. Sorry, from from Sesame Street. 
Yeah. Basically, I mentioned having seen a thing on YouTube about... It was from a channel called Blame It on Jorge. Uh, and he had a, a little documentary video that he made about trying to track down an animated segment from Sesame Street that has been lost to the ages about cracks. Uh, you can find that on YouTube if you do the proper searches. Um, and I'll probably tweet it as well. Right. And the prompt for all this was that uh, there's a major event in lost media because YouTuber Ray Mona tracked down Saban Moon. That's what Matsy was just watching there. It's um, uh, It was the first attempt, a, a proof of concept. I don't even think, really think quite a pilot um, huh. uh, to animate a new Sailor Moon and combine it with live action things because uh, Power Rangers was hot at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the, the Ray Mona, longtime Mooney, um, hmm. Hmm. did her research uh, based upon this video <clears throat> that appeared at an anime convention and otherwise, was, you know, just thought that that was the extent of anything that existed. But recently, a, uh, a storage locker was opened up and a whole bunch of cells from Saban Moon were found. Um as well as a script. Hey. So, you know, it prompted the idea, like, maybe we can find this thing. And she did a little research, found a uh, cleanup animator, found her CV online. So contacted mm -hmm. her, and then it kind of uh, extended outward to her finding producers of the segments. Um, at any rate, uh, I won't spoil the whole... Uh, investigative process because it's an interesting video that she put out. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But uh, if you if you just go onto YouTube and look up Saban Moon, you'll know that this early Sailor Moon exists. That she she was successful, found the the seventeen minute pilot, and uh, I'll give you guys a little a little review of it, and you can decide whether you really want to check this out. <laughs> okay. Um. So a narrator sets up that Queen Beryl and her wicked forces uh, seized the outer planets and the jewels of power. Uh, she seeks to defeat the inner sailors and gain their jewels of power. Uh, Queen Serenity consolidates the power of the resistance by betrothing Sailor Moon to Prince Darien of Earth. And uh, at their wedding, Darien presents Sailor Moon with a star locket and a single rose. But the ceremony is interrupted when Beryl's spaceship shows up and her monsters deploy. The princesses must board their sky flyers to combat the enemy. See, like, as a concept of them being sailors rather than, you know, just the idea that they wear sailor outfits to school. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's less Japanese. Yeah, yeah. So they have parasails uh, that they fly to uh, combat evil in outer space. Gosh, you know, Sailor Moon has been a part of, I mean, I'm not a big Sailor Moon fan, but it has been a part of my life yeah. for so long that I didn't even take a step back and realize that people might be confused about the the word sailor. Right, right. <laughs> Whereas it was like a, a, the manga called Takeuchi um, was just kind of glamorizing her student life, right? That her yeah, yeah. Sailor uniform was magical and her pen was magical and so on. Speaking of which, there is a cute episode of Sailor Moon where, you know, she's got her disguise pen that allows her to change her outfits. Um, I think. 
Yeah. So it's a, anyway, yeah, she flips it up and says, you know, okay. disguise pen, uh, turn me into a stewardess or whatever, right? Um, okay. There was one where cutely she turned herself into a sailor. But <laughs> uh, anyway, so, so yeah, they, they are on <laughs> spacefaring parasails that shoot lasers, except for Sa- Sailor Mercury, who has a uh, battle wheelchair. Um. <laughs> oh man! Well, why not, right? I guess. Even his, even in her fantasy alter ego, she can't walk. Well, it's in this version. I guess it's not a fantasy. But. Well, in this version, it's not her alter ego, though. It's the other way around. Okay, so I'll get to that. Um, during the awesome space battle, Prince Darian's galleon is destroyed. So mm-hmm. surely he's dead, right? Uh, the sailors make their getaway to the vortex by which they escape Queen Beryl and animation because it's <laughs> it's live action time at a boarding school. Um, oh. Yeah, all the sailors are regular girls and Sailor Moon has adopted the identity of Victoria. And hmm. she laments her situation to her telepathic white cat Luna. Um, hmm. But Sailor Venus, uh, I can't remember what her... They, they don't, they're not careful to name all the characters. I can look it up. Anyway, uh, she comes in, reminds Victoria that there are bigger matters at hand. The school dance. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a really silly montage, which is most of the music video you watched, uh, of, of, <laughs> of the girls being girly and getting ready for the dance. They try on clothes and cosmetics, and they do a lot of dancing in Victoria's bedroom and in the hallway. <laughs> there's there's one that's just perfect where it's like, you know, <laughs> this is, you know, we're frantically getting ready. And there's <laughs> one girl who runs out and does this shuffle while removing her cardigan over her head. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so all this comes to an end when Luna alerts Victoria that Queen Beryl is attacking the planet Jupiter. So the girls go through their transformations, all becoming animated, and Sailor Moon gets some slick computer animation to transition. Um, anyway, in, in the Palace of Jupiter, the sailors do a lot of zapping of Beryl's monsters. Uh, and an interesting thing here is, okay, so they redesigned all the sailors. Um, right. And, and they redesigned Darien. Uh, they heavily redesigned... Uh, Queen Serenity, especially, and Beryl. Um, but her monster servants, they just straight up use the same designs from the anime. From hmm. from the Rainbow Crystal arc, they just use all the same monsters. Um, well, with the exception of one. So uh, they zap all these monsters except for the original one, the biggest, reddest, gooey monster. He's too powerful at first. But they get some respite when a rose strikes the ground. It's Mass Tuxedo. (laughs) He doesn't have any lines. They don't name him in this, but... Oh, this gets complicated to explain. Uh, There's a... You know how um, cartoons will put out little, like, sizzle reels, I guess, to show the concept of they're going to make this show? Yeah. Um, So Deke did it with, you know, the, the Japanese... With the anim- the animation, right? With, yeah. with the original stuff. But as near as can be told in that little sizzle reel thing, they kept the names um, 
f- from this version. So they call Sailor Moon Victoria, and and hmm. they don't match the Deke names for the the various characters, and they call uh, Tuxedo Common uh, Mask Tuxedo. So I assume he's Mask Tuxedo here. He probably he's said, not Tuxedo Mask because I know him as Tuxedo Mask. Right. I mean, uh, maybe I've just watched the wrong English dub. No, 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 because he's Tuxedo Common, Common's Mask. So that that's the correct. Oh, okay. But like, I. Don't, I Neither way is really sillier than the other, but I think the not ri- really no the rhythm of tuxedo mask is nicer to say I think than mask tuxedo. Yeah, it's a punctuation syllable at the end. Like yeah, tuxedo mask. Yeah, like you're not starting with a burst and then mask tuxedo. Right. So anyway, he so he yeah he serves the same function where the rose goes down and breaks the action, and Sailor Moon receives a boost. So she can perform her moon tiara magic, which yeah. totally bonks the monster in the head and he falls over. Yeah. <laughs> you know, usually when she eliminates an enemy, it vaporizes. It just turns into a mound of dust, right? Okay. Whereas this one, really, it hits him in the head and he falls over. It's like, I imagined Austin Powers saying like, that's going to leave a mark. <laughs> 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 Who throws a tiara? <laughs> anyway. Oh, wow. So, though they miss the dance, the day is saved. And we go back to live action. It's, it's like it was all a dream, kind of. And Vic- mm. Victoria comes to in the classroom and is chided for having spaced out. And she, she counters like, no, I'm here. Here, I'm on Earth. Right? See, the, te- hey. the teacher doesn't realize the dual life of her five classmates that they lead as animated characters fighting evil by moonlight. Of course. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, I'm am- I'm amused that she has a third name now. Oh, from Usagi to Serena to uh, Victoria. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but- Serena, you know, Usagi makes sense because in in Japanese mythology and lore and basically culture. Yeah. Rabbits are closely associated with the moon. Right. Um, In more European culture, or mm. I guess mostly modern, like the word serene, like serenity. I think there's a, isn't it like sea or is it sea of tranquility? But it feels like sure. the word serenity is somehow associated with the moon in English culture. So the word, the name Serena also makes a certain amount of sense. Um, actually, you know, originally her name is, is serenity too, as a princess in her past life. So, Oh. Serena to Serenity is is probably the way they went, and it makes sense to me. Yeah. I I've always felt that because she's such an airhead, and also because she has sort of like an upper middle class background, that they should have just called her Bunny. Yeah, you know, like like Americans, maybe even Canadians. Some of them have some some girls are called Bunny. Yeah. Um, I sort of feel like you could get away with bunny but it kind of feels like that name really feels like more of a rich stuck up bully girl i guess so hmm and also i think but her, i don't know her her uh twin tails are supposed to be like bunny ears too so yeah, that too yes that too anyway it's kind of it's it's neat that such a weird artifact has been found uh yeah i mean it's not good <laughs> <laughs> well she, no yeah, Raymona does speculate, well, what if this was the way it happened? Would we have 
missed the anime boom, you know? <laughs> would, would we have gotten more stuff that was handled this way? But I don't know. It is interesting. What would the world be like if Sailor Moon had never become a popular thing in North America? Yeah, wow. <laughs> so you're, you're discounting this Sailor Moon, huh? <laughs> it wouldn't have been... I think it would have been one and done if they'd, if oh, they'd yeah. gotten... Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it would have just... You know, if it, if it didn't have something to it that would prompt people to go, what is this? Because it's, you know, it's clearly an American. Yeah. Um, then, you know, nobody... It would just be like, you know, Silver Hawks or something like that. Or it's like, oh, some action-y thing but with girls instead of men. You never okay. know, though. You never know. That's like, true. That's we, true. We Typically, uh, growing up in Canada, we didn't have the Disney Channel, that kind of thing. So we no. didn't have a lot of those live-action programs that I, for the life of me, I can't understand why some kids are nostalgic for. You know what? That's true. Like, you have a lot of people, you know, like, it's not uncommon to hear people reference, oh, the sweet life of Zack and Cody. Like, yeah. what? Hannah Montana. Oh, yeah. Hannah Montana was huge. Yeah. And, I mean, part of it is also that we are old. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, yeah, that is weird. I mean, I wonder, would live action, I, the live action thing, like, that feels so... Well, on the other hand, Power Rangers was very popular. Well, that was the whole thing, thought, whole thought process behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I have to keep yanking that back. Right? Yeah. Like, oh, this wouldn't have worked. Although Power Rangers did. Yeah. And it was cheap and cheesy. Yeah. Anyway, uh, as so let's transition. As old guys, let's return to the third age. Yeah, okay. Um, so we're talking about Return of the King today. Uh, the... Mm. The TV animated special from producers Rankin Bass, uh, appropriately directed by Arthur Rankin and Jules Bass in 1980. Mm. So our story really begins with John Ronald Rural Tolkien, J.R.R., uh, who was an English writer and professor of literature at Oxford. And uh, he created the incomparably influential fictions of Middle Earth. Uh, most notably, The Hobbit, as well as The Lord of the Rings. In part, he wanted to build an English mythology, uh, and also, likely, he wanted to have a vehicle to flex his love of philology so he could craft a spoken and written language for elves. Um, uh, that's And you know what? Like, my sister really loves The Legend of Zelda. Yeah. And she has actually... She's also a ling... Well, she's not a student anymore, but when she was in uh, university, she was a linguistics student, and she really endeavored to create a Hylian language. Ha! So. It kind of so, exists. I mean, yeah. I think it's one of those um, languages that's not really distinct languages. It is a bunch of symbols that are one-to-one -one with the Roman alphabet. Yeah. Like she, you know, she, with her deep understanding of how linguistics works beyond that, she's like, she was like, but anyway, I, the point is I can understand, you know, if he's, yeah. if Tolkien is like that, like, and, and the irony is that she doesn't like the Lord of the Rings at all. She yeah. thinks they're pretty, she thinks they're pretty badly written books that just kind of meander and go nowhere. But anyway. Oh, I, I think we'll get back to that. Um, <laughs> so 
uh, Tolkien was the pioneer of high fantasy fiction. His Middle Earth gave us a medieval setting with elves, dwarves, goblins, orcs, trolls, wizards, monstrous spiders, undead whites, and really just like a panoply of legends with depictions that became standard representations in most people's minds. Um, Rablins and groans. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mentioned this the first time around that uh, um, in role-playing games, there was a, a period when the Lord of the Rings movies were coming out. Well, actually, it's, it's, it's longer than that. Before the Lord of the Rings movies, uh, the Middle-Earth role-playing book had to emphasize that trolls do not regenerate because they do yeah. in Dungeons and Dragons. And then when the Lord yeah. of the Rings movies came out, uh, Dungeons and Dragons had to emphasize that trolls do not turn to stone when uh, they are put in sunlight. Anyway. <laughs> um, so especially pertinent to Tolkien stories are hobbits or halflings. Small in stature and humble in lifestyle, they may tend to be. But when called to adventure, they prove that heroism is measured in ingenuity and strength of spirit. His first installment was The Hobbit, published 1937, a lighthearted story about how Gandalf, a wizard, and a company of dwarves hired hobbit of leisure Bilbo Baggins to serve as their burglar on a quest to reclaim their riches from a dragon. Uh, along the way, Bilbo competed at a game of wits against a strange, twisted cave dweller named Gollum. Or Gloom, right? Or Gloom. Yeah. He stole the mutant's ring and often hmm. benefited from the invisibility it endowed on its wearer. In 1954, a follow-up called The Lord of the Rings was published, starting with The Fellowship of the Ring, then The Two Towers, and in 1955, finishing up with Return of the King. Yeah. In, in the story, the magic ring is discovered to have greater significance. A great lord of evil, Sauron, created powerful rings to gift to various kings in order to sway them to his side. The greatest of the rings, the one to rule them all, he reserved for himself. As it happened, Sauron was defeated, and his ring was claimed by a human king, but its evil influence brought him and to some extent all of humanity to ruin. So the animated versions of these stories have an odd history. See, animation company Rankin Bass, so named after its head creatives, uh, produced an animated TV special of The Hobbit in 1977. An unrelated, long-developed adaptation of Lord of the Rings was animated and released to theaters in 1978. It was directed by notable animator Ralph Bakshi. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, with, it was on TV all the time when we were kids, too. Um, within yeah, it, I, like, the, my first memory yeah. of any Lord of the Rings, of anything, is a commercial that had Frodo saying, I'll take the ring, though I do not know the way. Yeah. Like, that one line is my very first Lord of the Rings memory. Heh. <laughs> Yeah. And every time I watched a, an adapt, read or watched an adaptation of Lord of the Rings, I was waiting for that line. Sure. And it must have been edited because it took all day, it felt like, to be on yeah. television, right? Like, I remember the uh, throws to commercial showing uh, Bilbo's birthday. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. uh, anyway, so, yeah, into theaters went the Lord of the Rings. And within its runtime, it only managed to cover material of the first two books, but still present it as a whole movie unto itself. 
and while looking uh, and sounding nothing like the Rankin Bass Hobbit special, you could squint and kind of watch them in sequence. I'll say it again. This movie is, in my opinion, weird and terrible. <laughs> um, I haven't watched it in forever. I mean, there's some things to like, but the rotoscoping looks garbage. And well, yeah, it I mean, does. Well, yeah, and then they have so much weird live action orcs running around. <laughs> oh gosh, that's right. <laughs> oh. Yes. Um, uh, a weird anecdote my brother told me is that there's a bit where Gandalf rides in on a horse. And he cuts yeah. off an orc's head and the screen goes red with the orc's blood. Said his mm -hmm. friend vomited when he saw that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, anyway, so. Uh, oh, yeah. So what do we do now? It, well, what you do is you have the last of the books, Return of the King, animated by Rankin Bass again in 1980. And it utterly matched the style of the animated The Hobbit and even carried over some of its voice actors. So before we talk about Return of the King, you need to know what has happened in the story to this point. Uh, it's centered around Bilbo's heir, Frodo Baggins. When the ring is discovered to be an artifact of evil, only Frodo proved strong enough against its temptation to carry the ring. He undertook a quest to Mount Doom in the lands of Mordor, the home of Sauron and of orcs, his monstrous soldiers. Only in the fires of the volcano could the ring be destroyed. Aiding Frodo were his hobbit friends, Samwise, Merry, and Pippin. Gandalf accompanied as well, the ranger Aragorn, of the accursed royal bloodline that first misused the ring, devoted himself to the quest as well. And at his side, but not really mentioned in this movie, are the elven warrior Legolas, the dwarven fighter Gimli, and the hero of Gondor, Boromir. Strange that they're not in the movie, really, but anyway. Well, they... Um... They, it's weird how much they had to edit out. Yeah. And at the same time, as we'll get into, didn't leave much. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, in the first book, Boromir dies. The, flinch, the friendship or fellowship, rather, splits up and work toward different goals. Frodo and Samwise continued to Mordor to destroy the ring. Everyone else either came to the aid of the horse people, the Rohirrim, or stopped an evil wizard. From there, Gandalf and Pippin hurried to Gondor to help them against invasion by Sauron's armies. Merry accompanied the Rohirrim to mobilize their cavalry to go to Gondor as well. Aragorn and the rest traversed a haunted path, an intercept of the incursions along the river, and to recruit the various lords of those regions to help. And, uh... At this point, we should start the story, so take it away past Matsy. Um, so it actually starts at the end, and it says it it, be, it begins at the end or whatever. Um, it's, it's basically the elven keep of Rivendell, and it's Bilbo's 129th birthday. And so Frodo and Sam, Merry and Pippin, Gandalf, and the Lord of the Elves, Elrond, are all there for the party. But Bilbo... His memory isn't what it used to be, and also he wasn't on most of this adventure. He remembers the Hobbit things, but he kind of wonders about the ring, and Frodo has to explain to him that he got rid of it. Uh, oh, I'm getting these Hobbits mixed up. Bilbo, <laughs> Bilbo also notices that Frodo is missing his ring finger. <gasps> well, 
Fortunately, they have brought a minstrel of Gondor to sing the tale of Frodo and the nine Frodo of the nine fingers and the ring of doom. And uh, so he begins his tale of the <laughs> the ring's festering malignancy. We gloss over several events, some might say three books worth of events. Uh, basically, like you said, Gandalf discovers what the ring is, they, Aragorn needs to, it, he can only reclaim the throne when the ring is destroyed and the world is saved from its festering malignancy. And, uh, so yeah, so Frodo and Sam had a lot of adventures. Legolas and Gimli are unimportant. Boromir <laughs> isn't even mentioned. The point is that at this point, Frodo has been captured. They kind of got to the festering malignancy of Mordor, but they were separated. Frodo was captured, and now Sam is alone, and at this point we get a second title sequence for one some reason. Um, and there is one of the many brief musical interludes that fill time in a story that they've already cut down incredibly. Yeah. So, ten minutes into this thing, Sam is trying to get into the keep in Mordor. I guess it's called Sirith Ungol, uh, where Frodo is taken prisoner. Now, he finds some of Bilbo's belongings, including the cloak, which he got from some elves, and his sword, Sting, which in the books glows when orcs are near, but in this just glows all the time. But most importantly, the ring. Now, Sam crawls through a little crack to get onto the other side of the wall, and spots orcs fighting amongst themselves in the tower. But the ring, for some reason, keeps him from moving on. And he realizes that, yeah, they, they'll stop fighting each other if they see an enemy. So he goes back the way he came for another musical interlude. And he decides yep. he's going to be the bearer of the ring. But as it gets closer to its birthplace, the ring increases in power and Sam can feel its festering malignancy. He's filled with visions of himself as a great hero, destroying the ring and the Dark Lord's forces during another song and bringing peace and prosperity to the Dark Lands of Mordor, turning back its festering malignancy, you might say. <laughs> but but Sam is able to resist. And another song reminds us that all Sam wants is to be a gardener with happy children and a happy wife. And so he changes his mind again. He is no hero, and so he needs to find Frodo and let him destroy the ring. So we're 20 minutes in and nothing has happened. Mean meanwhile, in Minas Tirith, which is the capital of Gondor, don't you know, they are under siege from Sauron's forces, including the ring wraiths, the Nazgul. I think these were like the nine human kings who were turned evil by the, the rings they were given. Was it nine? I can't remember. Yeah, the turned turned evil by the festering malignancy of the mm -hmm. rings they were given. Uh, the steward of Gondor, Denethor, has gone insane for reasons not elaborated upon here. And he is ready to order his own execution and give up. Now, Pippin, as you mentioned, is there. And he goes to find Gandalf, who, as you mentioned, is also there. And they're waiting for reinforcements from Rowan. Is the country called Rowan? Cause, yeah, cause Rohan. Because you said Ro the Roharim, and I was like, I'm trying to remember if the people are the Roharim, the land is Rowan. Okay. 
That's right. And like you said, Mary is getting them to their side. So when he's confronted by Gandalf and Pippin, Denethor reveals that he has looked inside the evil crystal ball, the Palantir, and he has seen that black ships are coming up the river to reinforce Sauron's army, and all hope is lost. So Denethor dies, mm. uh, I guess, which is different from the book. Um, you know, spoiler, but uh, if only that Palantir had a zoom function, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, Gandalf is also ready to give up hope because he knows that these Palantirs never lie and there can be no victory unless the ring is destroyed. So Sam has gone back to the gates of Sirith Ungol, uh, but the gates are guarded by statues called the Watchers and he can't get past their invisible barrier. But he finds a strange file and that's P-H-I-A-L as in like a vial. Uh, which is inside Frodo's cloak, and it has magical powers that open the barrier and allow him to go forward. But an alarm goes off, and Sam is ready to fight the orcs until he finds them all dead. Because it looks like they all killed each other in their infighting, though I couldn't help but think that at least one of them must have survived. Anyway, Sam climbs the tower, and he finds an orc. Hey, I was right. Uh, when Sam... <laughs> it's funny, Sam is like thinking to himself, I can't let him get the ring. And so he pulls out the ring and shows it off. <laughs> like, mm. But at this point, the orc becomes afraid because the, the ring is just super powerful. Sam, what's the word? It, it interrogates him and finds that all the orcs killed each other because they were fighting over Frodo's cloak. Now, yeah. I thought orcs didn't like elven things. Um, I thought it like physically hurt them. Yeah, I think in the book they're actually fighting over his uh, chainmail shirt that Bilbo gave him. Oh, yeah, okay. And they can't have that because later Frodo is, the mail is too heavy. Although it's different mail. It's not Mithril because Mithril's really light and iron is not. Yeah, well, you know, it's got to function as a standalone movie. Yeah. So, yeah, they've already introduced the file and sting and the ring, yeah, so... Yeah. Yeah, Mithril Mail might have been a bit much. Sure. And they don't even say that it's elven. It's just a hero's cloak. So hmm. unless you know. Anyway. Anyway, the orc eventually falls to his death and Sam keeps climbing. And at the top, he finds Frodo being beaten by an orc guard who he dispatches. Now, Frodo is despondent at having lost the ring. And he talks about his pessimism for a long time. And there's even a musical number about mm. elves escaping Middle-earth's festering malignancy before oh. Sam finally tells him that he has the ring. Now, Frodo furiously takes the ring back during another musical number before he snaps out of it and begs forgiveness. <laughs> Homestar there. It seems like some kind of mestering malignancy is infecting <laughs> Frodo. So Frodo's going to keep the ring. He also half explains that the file from earlier is a gift from Galadriel, who is like a queen of elves, but he can't reveal its secret or it'll lose its power. So instead, Soto and Fram. <laughs> Soto and Fram. It's like a that one was like unintentional. A... Yeah. Soto and Fram. 
<laughs> it's like a Canadian um, folk band, Soto and Fram. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Frodo and Sam dress up in orc armor for protection, though, as I mentioned, the mail is heavy for the weakened Frodo. They're stopped at the Watcher's Gate because the statue's will is stronger now. They're on to the file's tricks. But it takes both of them to activate the file and turn on the file, I guess. Hmm. That's redundant. Uh, And it's strong enough to open the gate and, in fact, destroy the gate and the Watcher's. But this alerts one of the Nazgul, who is ready to rally the forces of Mordor against the intruders. So the hobbits hurry on. Nothing happens for a while, except that Frodo removes his chainmail during a scene which I think the only reason for that scene is so that Sam can explain that Gollum is still around. Because it's the first time he's really been mentioned, except for Mm. the Hobbit flashback earlier. Uh, it changes weirdly between Frodo wanting to rest and Sam saying, no, no, we can't rest here. We have to go on. And then Sam wants to rest and Frodo's like, no, no, there's a Nazgul above us. Uh, they yeah. move on. Well, that's why they travel in pairs. Yeah, yeah. So you can lift each other up. Yeah, I guess. There's a repeat of an earlier musical number and eventually they decide to rest. Uh, when they wake up, they I guess they're awakened by... For my money, the best musical number in this thing. Yeah. Where there's a whip, there's a way. Um, which is a legion of orcs marching to battle. The it's daylight now. The the hobbits have been traveling at night. And now they're worried because they're going to get found out. And they do. An orc, uh, the the what do they call him in the song? The Lord, the Lord of, of the Lash. Yeah. The Lord of the Lash says, hey, 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 <laughs> it's Fat Albert. Get in line. He thinks the hobbits are orcs. So they get in line and end up conscripted into an orcish army. <sighs> you better take over before I you better screw take over before I screw up more names. All right. I will take up this quest. So. Part two, while Frodo and Samwise sleep... Oh, no, you covered that, that they got conscripted by the Monster Men. Um, You can can read, you know... Nah, nah, it's okay. It'd be be like in the animation, we come back from commercial break, they show you the same animation again. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's exactly what this is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, with Frodo and Samwise conscripted into the Orc army, they're forced to march... And that battalion of orcs meets a battalion of Sauron's swarthy men at a crossroads. And the two forces challenge each other to wait for the other to go first. Samwise provokes the orc leader to stand up to the man creatures and a melee breaks out between the groups. In the confusion, Frodo and Sam make their escape now with their rations refilled, albeit with orc food. Back at Minas Tirith, the forces of evil march their battering ram machine grand up to the gates. At the horrid black speech of Sauron's second-in-command, the witch-king of Angmar, chief among the Nazgul, the ram crashes the gates down. But Gandalf and Pippin wait on the other side to receive the invaders. The witch-king fears him not, since he cannot be hindered nor harmed by any man. Hmm. Luckily, at that moment, the sun actually rises and pushes back the shadow of evil. Why? Because Mary, Theoden King, and the cavalry of Rohan 
arrives to save the day. Um, sensing a weakness in Sauron, Frodo, in Mordor, gets a boost of morale. But Sam insists they sleep again, which gives Frodo a chance for a dream sequence where everything is great. They're in green lands, orcs are friendly, they nonchalantly toss the ring over their shoulder into the lava. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it is good. It's easy. It should be. Um, But wait, his friends are actually menacing orcs. This dream turns out to be a nightmare. Anyway, the next day, Sam and Frodo crawl upward the slope of Mount Doom, continually dodging the gaze of Sauron from Baradur. See, (laughs) Sauron isn't just a fiery eye in your subconscious, always watching lidless. It's an actual big eye on top of a tower. Yeah, this is the way that this is um, depicted in the various movies. Yes, it's so ridiculous. It's like the idea of just this this metaphorical eye that sees everything. But then it's when they actually depict it, it's like, no, it's a searchlight that just looks around Mordor. So. Yeah, in the sense that it's just like a narrow beam of spotlight moving around. You can tell if it's seen you or not. <laughs> and also, it's got an incredibly focused, narrow field of vision, ironically. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty dumb. I remember, yeah, I really liked those Peter Jackson movies, but it was The Return of the King when I started to see that eye. I was like, this is yeah. stupid. And no doubt they're tributing this animation when they gave it the, the searchlight Probably. function there. Yeah. Yeah. This is the way it has to be. I was thinking that it'd be funny if the eye was just an eye and it wasn't like some weird, you know, uh, incorporeal fire on top or an insubstantial fire on top of a tower. But instead, instead it had to like move to each window to look out, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) It's like hustling between windows. Anyway. um, (laughs) I'm just picturing Tweeg from Teddy Ruxpin. (laughs) The bounder. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking, we'll find those hobbits. <laughs> yeah. Firing cannonballs that always miss Frodo. I think Tweeg would have noticed them, actually. But yeah, uh, actually, you know what? That's true. He would have noticed them, but then not been able to do anything about it. Yeah, right. Yeah. A joke I made last time. We we have a running joke on this show about one ring security or one ring surveillance. Yeah. This this because in cartoons. It seems like everybody always has a, you know, whether it's a crystal ball or a camera system, can see everything yeah. and anything. The yeah. irony is we named it after Sauron and he sees nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's wild. That's a that's a pretty I mean, I guess I guess I knew that but hadn't thought about it. Yeah. Like, eh. Okay, so uh, <laughs> the hobbits are ambushed while climbing by the deformed mad monster Gollum. He wrestles Frodo uh, for the ring until that same ring empowers the hero with a frightening presence. Samwise bades that his master go on while he executes the pitiable pitiable wretch with a sword sting. But pity him Sam does, sparing his life and letting him go. Meanwhile, back at Pelennor Fields outside of Minas Tirith, the tide seems to turn in favor of good. On that field, Pippin and Merry reunite. But that happy occasion is literally overshadowed by Sauron's darkness powers. They come back. Um, it startles Theoden's horse, and he is tossed and killed. Man, 
That is such an ignoble death for the king of a nation of horse riders to die by being thrown from your horse. Well, horses are very spookable, I guess. Anyway, um... If it was that show Game of Thrones or The Song of Fire and Ice, the books... Mm, yeah. Um, there's a nation of horse riders in that. And if this had happened to their leader in that, they wouldn't even have buried him. They would have just left him for the vultures. <laughs> yeah, whereas here they drape him in a gold cloth and give him a hero's burial. At, uh, anyway, um, so why is the Dark Lord... Why does he have such renewed confidence? It's because within Mount Doom, Frodo has finally succumbed to the ring, rejecting Sam's imploring that he destroy it. The corrupted halfling puts on the ring and disappears. Back on the battlefield, the Witch King descends on his winged fell beast, but he is challenged by a mysterious Rohirrim horse person. It's Eowyn, Theoden's niece. And she rejects the Nazgul's protection against men, for she is no man. <laughs> they clash, and she is thrown from her horse. But on second pass, she slays the fell steed. On foot, the two continue, and the wraith's mace shatters her shield and staggers her. Mary the Hobbit races to the rescue and stabs him from behind. And that distraction allows her to swipe through his floating red eye lights, killing him. Man, what a... What an ineffective prophecy. Yep. Like the idea that he cannot be harmed by any man. Man, you see. Right. But man is the word they use for humans here. And not only that, but there's not. Well, I mean, humans are the main ones. Sure. It's the age of men. Right. Yeah. But there's also elves and dwarves and orcs and hobbits and whatever Gandalf is, you know. <laughs> yeah. And. So the idea of I can only be harmed by 50% of one of the races that inhabit this world. Yeah, depending on how it's worded. And it appears to be it's it, it cannot be harmed by any male would have been more accurate, I guess. Yeah, except that Mary harms him. I know it makes no sense. This story's junk. It's garbage. Uh, <laughs> I get a lot of I wouldn't say mileage from retelling your anecdote because nobody laughs because I, I guess I don't tell it very well. <laughs> but uh, but I enjoy it uh, that that when you mentioned before that uh, the sport of Quidditch has dis disavowed <laughs> J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's quad ball now. Yeah, that's hilarious. Um, Lord of the Rings has its own pitfalls. But anyway, let's go on. Let's go on. So the battle continues, but the Black Fleet and the Corsairs come up the river inspiring the orcs. Ah, but those ships wave the banner of the Tree of Stars. Um, see, the ships are commanded by Aragorn. Mordor's army flees in the face of those reinforcements. And once reunited, Aragorn marshals the remaining forces of good to travel to the Black Gate of Mordor. So at this point, Denethor has uh, ordered his own execution and died. Is his Palantir just like saucy and didn't show him the next part? Or did he stop watching or what? It's like, oh, there's black ships. They must be Sauron's. But it really, it's just the lighting was bad because they were far away. Yeah, I think those Palantirs are garbage. Anyway, yeah, they, they mobilized to go up to the Black Gate. Now, at Mount Doom, Samwise despairs until he sees Gollum in struggle with an invisible opponent that can only be Frodo. 
During their wrestle, Gollum manages to bite off Frodo's finger and take back the ring from it. In his giddy... Oh, that's why he's got nine fingers. That's right. And the ring of doom. Um, So in Gollum's giddy celebrations, the weirdo dances and heedlessly tumbles down into the volcano's fires, condemning both himself and the ring. It's the end of a dark power, and that means stuff has to fall apart. Yeah. The volcano erupts, and the two halflings hopelessly uh, flee the fiery flow. Also, Sirith Ungle, the Black Gate, and really all of Mordor crumbles and splits, and Sauron himself, that big eye, loses his form. It's always weird, right? When <laughs> castles fall apart because their boss loses. I want, yeah. I wonder if that's insurance against uh, any sort of revolt, you know? Like, <laughs> ah, your bedroom's going to fall apart if you backstab me. Um, no, my poster. <laughs> yes. It's just easier for all of us to follow this guy. Um, <laughs> so, lucky for Sam and Frodo, the great giant eagles of Middle-earth arrive to save them. They also <laughs> save all the men and horses that went to the Black Gate. Deus ex machina be praised. We win. We win. Yeah. One of those things that was not previously met. Like, th- this is the fact that eagles were aligned with men, let's say. Yeah. Was kind of set up in the previous books. Right. Just too bad we're not dealing with previous books here. Oh, it's like we're saying about how uh, the elves may have had a real impact on this war. But I think after what happened the prior time and sealed or misused the ring, they just decided, you know what? Forget it. We're just going to get on a boat and leave. I guess the eagles are yeah. the same way. Like they were hovering around and thinking like, let's wait until they're about to win and then swoop in for the glory. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, the the dead are buried. Everything is restored, even the greenery around uh, Minas Tirith. And Aragorn is crowned the King of Gondor, the King of Men. And yes. we we get a couple dialogueless views of Faramir, Denethor's son, who is otherwise cut from the story. And that's the end of the minstrel's recounting. We're back at Rivendell. Bilbo plans to sail west on white ships with Gandalf and the elves. And finding this out, Frodo asks two to depart and is accepted. The Red Book of Hobbit history, uh, general history, really, is turned over to Samwise <laughs> to keep an update. Gandalf assures Sam that hobbits will have a place in this new age of men, predicting that as hobbits grow in stature each generation, they will become indistinguishable from men. And maybe you, the viewer, might have a little hobbit in you. <laughs> Which is, you know, the worst Hobbit pickup line. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, let me see here. So I had two big takeaways. Well, three big takeaways from watching this. Okay. One, festering malignancy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which which affected our podcast recording. Yeah, this podcast was pretty cursed yeah. and festering and malignant. Yep. Um, so that's one. Two, uh, the biggest kick I got out of this entire thing was the credits at the end. Yes. Where <laughs> I found out that the guy who was responsible for the sound effects was named Tom Clack. 
Right, that's good. Yeah. And three, I've read the books, I've watched the movies several times, you know, like, Lord of the Rings has been with me for 25 years or so. Yeah. More, if you count me watching that commercial and seeing I will take the ring, though I do not know the way. But... It's watching this movie this time now. Yeah. And I've come to the realization that my favorite character in the whole Middle Earth saga is Sam. Sure. Because I really love that he is just incorruptible, heroic, but not so heroic as to step outside of his lot in life. Like he knows what his position in life is and he is true to it he is a fiercely loyal companion to his best friend frodo um he is just a 100% all around good guy you know what's funny is okay so i guess the generic question would be like what who's the main character of lord of the rings and would you say frodo on the face well yeah the lord of the rings on the face Yes. Although when you actually look at the books, like half the books don't involve Frodo. And even his story is very much about Sam. Yeah. So Frodo, um, it, it, it gets a little bit difficult to. Um, I mean, I guess use your imagination and it's like, oh, the ring is such a burden. Right. But for the most yeah. part, what he gets to do is get stabbed a couple times in the story. And, <laughs> you know, stabbed, bitten by a spider. Yeah corrupted by the festering malignancy of the ring. Right. He doesn't get to do a lot of heroic stuff. Like, he steals some swords, I think, is the coolest thing he does. Mm. Um, yeah, actually... Yeah. Actually, okay, that's the thing about the book, too, is it's kind of funny that they tell everything to do with Minas Tirith up front, and then it's it's not interpolated, right? And then it's all the Samwise Frodo stuff. Whereas when they put it to moving pictures like this or like at the Peter Jackson movie, they interpolate it, right? It's like, it's, it's okay, what are they doing in Mordor? Okay, back to here, back to there. And strangely, strangely, I find it makes it even more boring, <laughs> their trek through Mordor. <laughs> like, it Mordor feels very empty to me. Yeah. The... Uh, Bilbo's quest through the Mirkwood, you know, and, and the Misty Mountains and everything, that seemed way more interesting than, you know, there was more stuff going on. They encountered more weird things, whereas this movie is, and, and all, <laughs> all depictions of Return of the King, really, ask you to really be, be there to watch two hobbits dying of thirst. You know? Yeah, it's like, you know, Mordor is like a volcanic desolation it's yeah. really it's very much like a desert yeah sort of i mean it doesn't look like a desert it's like a volcanic rocky plain but as far as like what's actually there it's basically a desert and so what you have is these two guys walking through a desert now that is harrowing and hard to do but it's also not very interesting to watch well it's, it's hard to depict like you really have to get yeah in there and granular to the madness and to the fatigue, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually, I've been reading return of the King just to confirm myself. Is this really this boring? Mm. <laughs> it kind of is actually. Yeah. I mean, they, also yeah. 
Well, you know, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I mean, your thought. There, there's some more orcs there, but it still doesn't amount to much. It's still most of the time is, oh, and we avoided them, you know? Yeah. It's just kind of a struggle against the elements. Yeah. Which is hard to depict. Um, the other thing, something that, you know, I, I bet there's a lot of people who have watched the movies but not read the books. Yeah. Uh, or even maybe watch this movie because they got curious or whatever. And something that gets edited out every time is basically the last half of the book, oh. which is the hobbits going back to the Shire and finding that it's been taken over by the deposed wizard Saruman and uh, Worm Tongue. Worm Tongue being the... Uh, advisor who was actually giving Denethor bad advice and driving him insane. Well, no, so, like, no, the last... it was Theoden, right? Wormtongue was with Theoden. Oh, was... I thought. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, whoops. Uh, I could be wrong. Yeah. Anyway, the point is, there's this whole other half of the book where the Shire has fallen and then, like, the hobbits have to reclaim it. Right. It's this weird, like, after the climax of the story in the denouement, it's like, oh, wait, there's one more adventure to go on. Well, you can see why they cut it. Oh, sure. I understand it. Like, I've never really liked that part either. Mm. I, I kind of almost wonder if it's only there because there's like some vision of the Shire in desolation that Frodo gets at some point. I think it might be in one of the elven conclaves. Mm. Um, and it's like, well, got to make it come true. Right. One of the hobbits looks into a uh, crystal ball and sees it. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. One of the hobbits finds a palantir. I guess there's different perspective at the time on what a wizard was, because I thought mm. Saruman was powerful <laughs> for one. Yeah. It's kind of the timeline is also really funny of the scouring of the shower. Shire, rather. Scouring of the shower. Scrubbing bubbles. Scour. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they actually meet. um. Saruman and Wormtongue on the road. They see as like a couple beggars and recognize them. Wait a minute, that's Saruman, <laughs> right? And well, yeah. And uh, how far he's fallen, right? That like, but that's the other thing I think is really funny about that scene and and all the basic denouement of the storyline is how forgiving everybody is. That they're willing to forgive mm. Saruman. Like, really, this guy, <laughs> this traitor who well, killed undoubtedly hundreds, if not thousands, of people. Um, well, he's he's lost all power, like you said, like he, you know, you said he's not very powerful. Well, that's because uh, Gandalf took his place. That's he's Gandalf the White now. He, I guess. he says at some point, Saruman, you have no color like he's he's reduced him. <laughs> what would it be like to be this immortal, invulnerable, all powerful wizard for your entire existence and then suddenly have to live as a mortal? OK, like. But here's the thing I think is funny also. Okay, yeah. saying that he's got no power. Well, he's like a beggar that they meet on the road. And then they dawdle at Rivendell and at Bree for a little bit. And like in the course of two weeks, Saruman <laughs> grabs control of the Shire. It's kind of yeah. crazy. Hobbits. Hobbits are easy to conquer. They must be. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of funny. They're just little, little fat little, little people that don't ever fight. Like, you know, yeah. the... The wildest thing that's ever happened to them was that Bilbo disappeared at his birthday party this one they, time. They do say they've got, like, a, a border patrol, so they do have some guys with spears, I guess. Oh, huh, okay. Yeah. 
I mean, I guess they're maybe no... it's like the maybe it's like the uh, the guard of the Pope, where like technically they're there, but they don't really do anything. Oh right, they're like the they're... nobody's nobody's gonna launch a full scale invasion into the heart of Rome. They're they're like the great eagles. They arrive when <laughs> the Rangers have already arrested someone. Oh, that's good work. You know, um, that would be really funny if like an army of an army of har. I am having trouble saying this. Yeah. An army of hobbits showed up at Helm's Deep. Yeah. We're like, where are your reinforcements? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, they got good saving throws, good missile weapons. Anyway. Um, oh, you know, you're talking about early memories of this animation. Yeah. Um, I remember the song Frodo of the Nine Fingers. Yeah. Combined with Gollum's appearance, put the image in my mind as like a four or five year old that maybe younger even, that a real-world frog could bite off your finger. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are real-world frogs that could swallow your finger if it had already been bitten off, but I don't know that there's enough with the jaw strength or teeth to do it. But yeah, <laughs> I can understand that. That song, uh, me and... So I, this might have been when you were living in the States, but like some of us watched this movie one time yeah. like in fairly relatively recent years, let's say within the last 20 um, and we were just, we got a huge kick out of that musical number, which was basically Gandalf narrating something happened and then punctuated by Frodo of the <laughs> Nine Finger. And it was just over and over again. And it's like, those were the only lyrics of the song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, talking about the sound overall, uh, how long ago have you watched The Hobbit? Oh my gosh, I can't even remember. Well, this is a huge upgrade in that <laughs> The Hobbit has terrible sound. Hmm. Like, uh, dialogue... Hire Tom Clack! Yeah. Dialogue is drowned out all the time in mm. there. It's just horribly mixed. And mm. Last Unicorn was pretty bad, too. They're talking about, like, Rankin-Bass animations. So this is pretty yeah. good. Um, but where I think this really shines are the visuals. Um, I looked this up. Uh, for the character designs of The Hobbit, Return of the King, and The Last Unicorn, it's Lester Abrams. Okay. But the character designer of Thundercats, which shares some similarities, is Michael Germakian, or Germakian, rather. Um, so I'm inclined to think that a lot of the look of the Rankin-Bass animation was because of Pacific Animation Corporation. And, uh, lo and behold... Their character designer, uh, Tsuguyuki Kubo, uh, did worked on all these things. So I think he's the reason, like, boy, I love this stuff. I love, um, uh, in Thundercats, my favorite character is Slythe, the lizard man guy. Okay. And you can really see the genealogy of him and the orcs in The Hobbit and, <laughs> and Return of the King. Just love it, these designs. Um, mm -hmm. you know, the pretty people are, are ethereal, the... Ghastly people have, you know, warts and wrinkles and 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 uh, grooves within their jaws and tonsils and everything. Yeah, they they look like disgusting little toads like yeah. orcs nowadays are like big, muscly, green skinned men with tusks. Yes. And but here it's like, no, orcs are little disgusting frog people. I like these better. Truthfully. Sure. I can. I'll buy it. Yeah. yeah like it's it's not really like, you know, all. All they have to be is disgusting mm. and kind of fierce warriors, but not so fierce that they didn't have to improve them by 
um, splicing their genes with those of humans hmm. to create high orcs or Urug-hai, which I don't think are in this movie. Yeah, they've got trolls and orcs mostly. There's no distinction. I, mean, I guess some of the orcs are kind of small. Um, hmm. Anyway, uh, uh, Kubo, the character designer, uh, he did some uh, he, he he's basically not stopped working. He even did some of the designs in Legend of Korra. Um, oh. Yeah, pretty remarkable. And uh, he most recently did the animation direction on some of the Naruto and Boruto movies. So like I said, this guy still works. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. Um, also on the visual side, uh, Minoru Nishida did the background design. And he also worked on Thundercats, Silverhawks and some Disney Afternoon stuff. And mm. I think the, the watercolor backgrounds in this are fantastic. Yeah, they're they're pretty nice. Yes. Should we talk about some of the voices? Sure. Um, <laughs> when one of the hobbits, I can't remember which one, it might have been Mary, uh, started talking. I was like, ooh, I know that voice. Where do I know that voice from? Mm -hmm. uh, turns out it's Casey Kasem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Casey Kasem is a really weird case for me. Yeah. yeah case. He's a really weird case. Because. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't know why this is in an era where everybody is, you know, like Kristen Schaal is in all kinds of cartoons and mm. like uh, things like that. For some reason, I think of Casey Kasem as a celebrity first and a voice actor second. Huh. And every time I see Casey Kasem in a cartoon, like... I go, oh, wow, Casey Case. they got Casey Kasem. And I have to really rein myself in a bit and say, like, no, he was a voice actor. Yeah, you don't think of him as Shaggy first. Well, I, I mean, I kind of do. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, Casey Kasem, Scooby-Doo was lucky to get him. Oh, I see. But then it's like, oh, no, wait, he was in Transformers. He was in Lord of the Rings. He yeah. was in, he's a legitimately a voice actor who also happened to be a radio personality. Yeah. And I have a really hard time reconciling that. I guess a similar thing nowadays would be Al Yankovic, where okay. like it's like, you know, obviously for 30 years or whatever. He was a recording artist, but now it's like he has this whole legitimate second career where it's not like, oh, wow, they got Al Yankovic mm. to be in this cartoon. It's like, no, he's he's a voice actor. He does that. He's in Star versus the Forces of Evil. He's in My Little Pony. He has his own show, Milo Murphy's Law. He's in Adventure Time. He's yeah. in everything. Maybe Danny Pudi as well. The um, the guy from uh, Community. Oh, yeah, that he's like, he's in enough stuff. He's a voice actor, right? Um, let's see, some, some other voices in this thing. Uh, Orson Bean returns as Bilbo and also provides Frodo. Yeah. Um, John Huston is Gandalf, who is really more famous for being a director who made the Maltese Falcon, the African Queen, <laughs> and so on. Um, Roddy McDowell is Samwise. Also, wow. Also Cornelius in Planet of the Apes. That's amazing. My man, John Stevenson, is the Witch King of Angmar and practically every secondary character in Scooby-Doo. Yeah. A bunch of Transformers as well. Oh, yeah. You hear that voice. And it's like, oh, this guy. Yeah. Actually, you know what? The uh, in general, I think the casting of this has cast a lot of very similar voices. Same meter mm -hmm. and, and, and pitch, you know? Kind of. Yeah. Like the fact that the fact that I'm just listening and listening and all of a sudden, oh, Casey Kasem. Yeah. And then listen, listen. Oh, that that Transformers guy. Yeah. 
And and meanwhile, you're like, Roddy McDowell. Yeah. I know that name, but which character was he? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, this one that's interesting. Nellie Bellflower's Eowyn and Princess Ariel in Thundar the Barbarian. <laughs> and oh, you like this one. William Conrad is Denethor, the the steward of Gondor. Yep. And also the narrator in Rocky and Bowinkle. I knew I knew that name from some. I kept yeah. mixing him up with. I kept thinking Hans Conried. Oh, but no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that narrator. Yeah. Um. Did we mention him earlier, or was that in last week's episode? I'm. Oh, William Conrad, forever ago. Oh, it was when we were talking about moose, of course. Oh, yeah, that was last episode. Oh. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, mentioned yeah. we mentioned the uh, the joke uh, titles. The, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um. There you go, William Conrad. <laughs> and I think there we go, Tolkien, huh? Um, yeah. And, and Rankin. But yeah, it's weird, isn't oh! it? What? what, what, what? <laughs> uh, unrelated. Yeah. Have you seen the thing that South Park has done recently? No. Oh, so several years ago, they introduced a black kid named <laughs> Token. Token Black. Right, 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 right. Well, this last season of South Park... They decided to gaslight everyone. Okay. There was there was an episode where uh, Stan's family, the Marsh family, had the black family over for dinner. Mm. And it, it was something like, so how come you named your kid Token? And then it's like, or, or, or like, you know, what? yeah, it was like, how come you named him Token? It's like, oh, well, I really liked uh, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, so I named my kid after him, Tolkien. Uh. And they're like, uh... What? And then there's this tension of like, did you think his name was Token? <laughs> and so then Stan is going around like, did you know that his name is Tolkien? Like he's named after J.R. Tolkien and all his friends like Cartman and Kyle are like, yeah, obviously they're not going to name a black kid Token. <laughs> and then the makers of South Park went one step further and went back to all the previous episodes on streaming services and replaced every instance of Token with Tolkien. Oh, huh. so suddenly now everyone looks like they've been calling this black kid token when it's actually Tolkien. Huh. That is funny. <laughs> Good on them. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tolkien's legacy endures. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, I was going to say about this that. I like Rankin Bass. Like I said, these character designs, mwah, fantastic. Love them. But right. uh, this is sort of boring. <laughs> yeah, not much happens. Like they edited out all the, um, you know, uh, Aragorn and Gimli. And yes, Legolas. they should have had that in there. Even in, like they, they have they should have not had uh, Frodo's dream, his nightmare. They should have mm. instead had a musical number to uh to Aragorn and Gimli walking through the halls of the dead. That would have been way cooler. Yeah, I guess there's just to some extent, it's like you can't you can't call back too much to stuff that has happened in previous movies. Like it has to somewhat stand on its own where you can just set up like, OK, Sam and Frodo had many adventures, but now they're in Mordor mm. there. Yeah. But then if you ha it gets more complicated when you're like, also, they had these previous companions, Aragorn and then Legolas, who's an elf and Gimli, who's a dwarf. Now, there was another guy, but he died. But his brother turns out wasn't incorrupted right. by the ring. And, and it just, you know, there's too much. There's too much that wasn't depicted that you'd have to rely on. You know, the, so, the bait and switch that made me really want to watch this. 
as I watched the out of context the scene of Eowyn fighting the Witch King, and I thought, "Wow, this oh. mo- this movie's cool. Let's check it out." Oh, and then it's like, yeah, oh, and they have to, like I said, like, oh, she, you know, she was. We met her previously, but she wasn't supposed to come along, but she did. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so there's a lot that you had to edit out to make the movie stand on its own, and as a result, without previous content hey turns out showing the end of a story without the context of the rest of the story ends up kind of boring yeah yeah well all right um, well speaking of needing some context yeah uh let's be bored by next week's episode (laughs) um we're gonna watch some cartoons with a theme and that theme is parodies Mm -hmm. um i interpreted this as episodes that are parodies of other things could be yeah. Um, so I figured we've talked about Bob's Burgers. We've talked about Futurama. How about we go back to where it all started? Oh, with the Simpsons. OK. And we got this is, I believe, season eight. So it hasn't gone downhill yet. OK. And episode 13. And guess what? This is a parody of the title of the episode is. Simpson califragilistic expiella annoyed grunt shiss. Ha 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 ha. Okay, yeah, good one. Okay. Annoyed grunt is uh, Simpson's script talk for dull. Yeah. So speaking it, it would be Simpson califragilistic expiella dull shiss. <laughs> yep. Okay. Got it. Uh, for you, Matsy, I have chosen an episode of Dexter's Laboratory. Ooh, a show that I have not watched very much of. Yeah, but uh, anyway, the uh, this one is uh, episode 29 of season two. And uh, if you know anything about this show, you know it's got a million different parts. Forget half episodes. Um, <laughs> so I'll just read a bunch of them out so that you'll know you're watching the right episode. Okay. <laughs> okay. So it starts out with Paper Route Bout. Uh-huh. The Old Switcher Rooms. Mm-hmm. Trick or Treehouse. And right. the real reason we're going to be watching this one Mock five spelled M O C K five. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I am. I am down to watch some Dexter's Lab. Sweet. Uh, yeah. And while we're doing that, uh, why don't you tweet about how generally good this podcast is, and how generally it manages to cover up its technical issues and festering malignancies really well. <laughs> um. And let us know what else you think that we should watch, because uh, we are open to suggestions. I am on Twitter with the username at ACMatsy. Yeah, tell everyone about the show, even in person, word of mouth, anecdotes, you know. Um, I am at DrabSwatch. Well, that's the show. Now I need to practice with my new magic sword. Splendid it may be, but the true enchantment is revealed when the Seax is held up to the moonlight. Across its blade, a rune scrawled in the Celery Stalker's slogan. Frodo of the Nine Fingers and the Ring of Doom. It started with a hobbit in Gollum's Cave of Gloom.